Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to The Truth About Money here on KFI AM 640. I'm Rick Edelman. As I tell you every week, the key to successful investing is to focus on the long term, not the latest headlines or the daily closes in the market. So we've put together some of our phone calls from the past few months where we focus on important things for you to understand about saving and investing. And if you need help right now, call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Enjoy today's show. Let's go to our first phone call. And we're off to Saunders, Town, Rhode Island. Mark dialed up, triple eight, plan Rick. What's your question, Mark? How are you doing? Hi, Rick. Um, yeah, I actually have a two-part question. The first one is I uh, manage the buying and selling of my portfolio with the guidance of a financial uh, planner, a fee-only planner. Mm-hmm. And my portfolio requires about 50% bonds. Um, it's time for me to rebalance, and I need more bonds. And um, I guess I'm a little bit leery about buying additional bonds, short and intermediate term bonds, uh, given the fact that interest rate is on the rise. My uh, advisor suggested that uh, I could buy individual bonds or bond funds, and to me, either one is almost a guaranteed uh, sure loss in this uh, rising interest rate uh, environment. I'm, I'm wondering what you might say and, and if there's any alternatives to to that. Well, I don't agree with your premise, uh, first of all. Uh, so let's start there because I think that the alternative to avoid your concern is could be worse. You know, the cure could be worse than the uh, disease. So here's the deal. We know that when interest rates change, so does the value of bonds. And they have an inverse relationship, sort of like opposite ends of a seesaw. One goes up, the other goes down. So if you think interest rates are going up, and, well, they are. They started in December, and the Fed says they're going to keep raising rates. So if interest rates are going to go up on one end of the seesaw, bonds are going to go down on the other end of the seesaw. So interest rates go up, bond values go down. But not all bonds are created equally. Bonds vary based on their maturity date, or a more technical phrase, duration. A 30-year maturity has much bigger swing in value due to interest rates than a 30-day bond, right? So picture a 30-year bond is on the very edge of that seesaw. A 30-day bond is dead center at the middle of that seesaw. So when you picture a seesaw going up and down, the very edge has a wild swing in height, whereas the center of the seesaw barely moves. So our solution, if we're fearful of rising rates, our solution is to avoid 30-year maturities. And that's why we recommend three-year, five-year, seven-year maturity. Stay shorter, intermediate. 
because they don't swing very much in value. So I would argue with you that even if rates continue to rise, you may not see much of a decline in the value of those bonds. And since the market tends to move in anticipation of government action, you could find that the prices of the bonds have already been adjusted in advance of Fed action, meaning that by the time the Fed does raise rates further, the bonds might not fall in value at all. In fact, if the market has overreacted and did too much of a move, by the time there's a Fed action, the bond might actually rise in value because of uh, its correcting its prior e error. So don't necessarily assume that another rate increase will necessarily precipitate a decline in bonds or that the decline in bonds will necessarily be huge. Also keep in mind that the seven-year bond is paying a higher rate of interest than the 30-day bond, which means even if it does decline in value, you're being protected by the fact you're earning higher interest on it, which provides a bit of a buffer. For all of those reasons, it doesn't bother us to have our clients in three-year, five-year, seven-year paper. So is there any um, any thought on uh, holding, if you buy a, an individual bond and your plan is to hold it until maturity versus buying a bond fund? Yeah, that's one thing that people do note. Uh, I'm glad you did that. You know what? If I just hold this thing to maturity, I guarantee to get my money back. And who cares about interest rate risk? Well, there's uh, two flaws in that theory. Actually, three now that I think about it. First flaw. You have to hold the bond to maturity. Uh, and in the meantime, you're earning less interest than you could be by switching to a new bond that pays more. So you have opportunity cost. That's the first problem. Second problem, even though you plan to hold the bond to maturity, guess what? Life gets in the way, and you may discover you need the cash. And if you do, forcing you to sell the bond, you'd be selling it at a loss, defeating the purpose. That, those are the first two problems. Third problem, diversification. How much money do you have and how many bonds can you really go buy? Whereas if you put your money into a bond fund, you'll own hundreds, even thousands of bonds. The diversification can help reduce the risk of default should something happen to any one of those issuers. So those are three reasons why I think a fund of bonds is our preferred approach compared to buying individual bonds. Okay. Terrific, Rick. Thank you very much for that advice. You're very welcome, Mark. I'm really glad you asked. And, you know, Mark's illustrating the astonishing complexity of investing today. Um, should I choose stocks or bonds? And if I'm going to choose one, do I buy the security directly or do I buy it through a fund? And if I'm going to buy the direct security, which security do I buy? If I'm going to buy the fund, which fund do I buy? And and, 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 you know, so we generally discover that there are two kinds of investors and you have to decide which of the two you are. The first is what we call a do-it-yourselfer, a DIY. Uh, this is a person who has the time, the knowledge, and the desire to do it on their own. And statistically, the industry tells us that's about a third of the investing public, you know, anywhere between 20-30% or so of the investing public does it on their own. They have the knowledge, they know what they're doing, they have the time, and it takes quite a bit of time to do this research and record-keeping and all that, and they have the desire. It's like a hobby for them. They enjoy doing it. The other 70 or 80% of the American public are 
delegators. They're not do-it-yourselfers. These are folks who lack one of those three attributes. They either don't have the knowledge or they don't have the time or they don't have the desire. Uh, they lack one of those three. Sometimes they lack all three of them. And those are the folks who hire financial planners, uh, someone to say, look, I, I understand this. I just don't like it or I don't have the time for it. I'd rather be spending my time doing other things and I'm going to delegate the chore to you. And so you need to decide which of the two camps you prefer. It's not a question of right or wrong, unless, frankly, you think you're competent and, in fact, you're not, or uh, you think you're willing to delegate, but, in fact, you end up micromanaging the planner and making both of you miserable. So assuming you pick correctly, there's no right or wrong. You just have to decide which camp you belong in best, ideally suited, not just you, but also your spouse, uh, to make sure that the two of you are happy with the approach that the two of you are taking. And uh, you'll discover that financial advisors like me you know, here at Edelman Financial Services, we um, we serve the, the delegator. You know, so it's um, it's not right or wrong. It's a question of serving uh, a segment of the investing public who needs the services and the advice provided. So it's entirely up to you. If you feel that you want to explore the idea of delegating some of those chores that you are currently burdened with, call us. 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. You can visit us online as well at ricedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com. This is The Truth About Money. Stay with us. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Do not use the show's content as the basis for any investment decisions. Instead, consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence. Rick Edelman is an investment advisor representative of Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor which furnishes this program, and also a registered principal of EF Legacy Securities and affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Rick scheduled a best-of show this weekend because he's in New York for the release of his new book, The Truth About Your Future, an instant New York Times bestseller. Although he took calls from listeners, you're only hearing the ones where he knew the answers because he's a financial advisor and a best-selling author. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Edelman Show continues. Triple Eight Plan Rick. Let's take a phone call. White Plains, New York. Brian, you're on the air. Thanks for hanging in there. How are you, Brian? Good, Rick. How are you? Terrific. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. How can I help? Um, my question is as follows. I've saved properly for my retirement already. I found myself sitting on a large amount of cash, and at the same time, my annual income has been reduced. For this reason, I'm contemplating paying my existing mortgage. My existing mortgage is $337,000 at 3.75%, and I have 27 years of payments remaining. What I'd like to know is if I pay off the existing mortgage, is it the same as investing the money at a return of 3.75% minus the mortgage interest deduction? Yes. That was pretty straightforward. <laughs> I mean, well, you asked a very straightforward question. So let me ask you this. How, you said you have a lot of money saved. How much? Uh, I have a uh, million three in my 401k. Is that where you would get this 337000 to pay off the mortgage? No. In addition to that, I have uh, $750,000 in my uh, uh, emergency fund. 
uh, meaning it's in a bank? Yes, it's in a high-yield savings account. Okay. Uh, and that's where you would get this money? Yes. Okay. How much money do you spend on a monthly basis? What are your total costs? Um, right now? Yes. Um, $6,000. And how much is the mortgage payment? $1,746. Is that inside the six grand you mentioned? Yes. Okay. So uh, do you have any sources of income other than uh, – are, are you working? Let's start there. Well, until very recently, I was working for the same company for many, many, many years. They were acquired. Uh, my position was eliminated. Yeah, yeah we know I, how that goes. Ah, uh, yeah, less than pleasant. Yeah, and how old are you, Brian? Uh, I'll be 58 in January. Okay. Are you planning to go work elsewhere? Yes. And can you guess as to the income you're expecting to earn at the new job? Yes. Tell me. Um, probably in the area of $100,000. And does your wife work? For, are you married? Do you, does she work? Um, I'm married. My wife does not work outside the home. Got it. And what is her age? Uh, she's 59. Okay. So uh, any pension from uh, the former employer? No. So you will have Social Security in your 60s? Correct. Got it. And uh, so here's where I'm, what I'm driving. I'm trying to determine if you can afford to pay off the mortgage. And the answer is yes, you can. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to pay off the mortgage, you certainly can. And the mortgage is costing you net of taxes. We're going to pretend it's about 2.5%. I don't know if that number is yeah. right or wrong. But let's assume that net of taxes, your mortgage is costing you 2.5%. That's more than you're earning in the bank on that money. Yes. So that would seem to be a logical trade-off. Why would you earn 1% in the bank and pay 25 on a loan? It makes sense. Take the money out of the bank, pay off the mortgage. The only okay. reason not to do that is because it is possible to contemplate that you could invest that money that's sitting in the bank, $750,000 sitting in the bank, you could invest that into the financial markets in a diversified global portfolio and be reasonably uh, able to assume that over a long period, the 27 years you have left on your mortgage, that you're going to earn a return that's more than the 3.5% or 375 that that loan is costing you. In other words, if you were earning 5% on the money, 4% on the money, then it wouldn't make a lot of sense to pay off the loan. But that's not certain. That's, you know, there's always risk in the world of investing. So uh, I don't object to your paying off your mortgage because you have substantial other savings to produce income for yourself and well in excess of your need. You only need six grand a month. And if you pay off the mortgage, you only need four grand a month. And your 1.3 million or actually 1.6 after you do this is more than enough to generate the income you need. So I'm perfectly fine if you wanted to do it. Would I recommend it? Not necessarily because it's a relatively inefficient approach to money. But your scenario, Brian, is choosing between good and better. In other words, there's no wrong choice here. You're not going to make a mistake, so don't worry about it. Um, whether you do it or not is debatable, arguable, uh, but the end of the day, if you want to do it, go ahead. It's not what I would necessarily recommend, but I wouldn't object or worry if you went ahead and did it. 
Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I'm glad you were uh, able to call and uh, get the answer to the question that you needed. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money online at rickedelman.com. You know, that's where you go if you want to get the full seminar schedule. We're doing Preparing for Retirement. It's a seminar that I know you're really going to enjoy, covering three subjects that you care about, how to invest the money in your retirement plan at work, how to invest the money in your IRA, and how to generate income from those accounts in retirement. Also, Social Security. Are you sure that you know how to maximize the benefits when you become eligible for Social Security for you, your spouse, and your children? And finally, beneficiary designations, your annuities, your life insurance, your retirement accounts, your IRA accounts, they all have beneficiary designations. Have you set them correctly? Come to the seminar, Preparing for Retirement, and make sure that you have it right. We're doing the seminar Tuesday and Wednesday, April 18th and 19th, both at 7 p.m. in Chicagoland, Arlington Heights, Tinley Park, in Philly, West Conshohocken and Mount Laurel, New Jersey, in Michigan, Livonia and Troy, Chesterfield, Missouri, Needham and Taunton outside of Boston, and in Maryland and Virginia, both the suburbs outside of D.C., Hunt Valley, Annapolis, Springfield, and Fairfax, also Concord, California. It's uh, just $15 a person, 25 a couple. You can register online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. And you can get the full seminar schedule because we're doing the seminar all over the country. Get the full seminar schedule at ricedelman.com. Click that seminar button, and it'll show you everything you need to know about the seminar and where you can go to get it and how to register. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Do you have college kids or grandkids? Are they incurring student loan debt? I got a simple question for you. Why? Oh, I know. They need the money to pay their tuition and their room and board. Oh, yeah? According to the website LendEDU.com, 31%, one out of three, of the college kids who have student loans, one out of three of them say they are using their student loans to pay for their spring break trip. Oh, come on! Yeah. Are you sure that they really need to borrow as much money as they're borrowing? 7% of those kids say they've used their student loan debt to pay for drugs. You'll be sorry! So you really need to have a conversation. I mean, think about this. Did your 18-year-old ever have access to tens of thousands of dollars before? This is the amazing thing about student loan debt. The money doesn't go directly from the bank to the institution to pay the cost of tuition, room, and board. Think about when you bought your house. You got a big mortgage when you bought your house. Did the lender give you the check and then say to you, go ahead and give it to the guy selling you the house? No. The money went from the lender directly to the seller. You never got that check. And yet, lenders for college give the checks to 18-year-olds. Lord knows what they do with that money. I'm Rick Edelman. You might want to have a serious conversation with them sometime. Stay tuned to The Rick Edelman Show. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome back to the program. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. We are headed off to Alameda, California. We're talking to Lisa. How you doing, Lisa? What's going on with you? Hi, Rick. Um, I'm wondering if it's better to do Roth contributions or pre-tax contributions count at work. Got it. How old are you? 36. And how much money do you earn? Um, 125000 And are you married? No. So I would say, based on your income, uh, the answer is no. You should not do a Roth IRA account. And the reason for that is because of the tax bracket that you're in. Lisa, here's the deal. Because of your marital status and your income, that's why I had to ask both of those numbers, it -hmm. doesn't look like you're eligible to contribute to either one because the limits for an IRA contribution, the limits are for single people, non-married people, the limit is $62,000 is when it starts to phase out. In other words, the tax deductibility begins to phase out, and it goes away completely at age 72. Uh, For a Roth IRA, it's higher, but still not high enough. It phases out starting at 118, uh, phases out along the way to 133, 133,000. So you said you're at 125,000, so you might be able to contribute some money to a Roth IRA, but not the full amount. This is my... This is my 401k account at work. Oh, okay. Then we don't have to worry about that. Tax and Roth. So I wasn't sure which option there is better. Okay. So let's start over then. So when you're asking which should you contribute to, Roth or deductible, you're talking about your 401k at work, yes? Yes. You should choose the deductible. And the reason is that $125,000 of income as as a single person, you're in a uh, high tax bracket which means that you'll get a big deduction uh, for your contributions to the account. If you were in a low income, meaning a low tax bracket, I would tell you to do the Roth because there wouldn't be a whole lot of benefit to choosing the deductible. But in your case, there's a big benefit. So go ahead and choose the deductible bucket for your 401k at work. No question about it. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm really glad it's uh, you know it's so rare that a lot of these questions are uh, really cut and dried, really black and white issues. But this is one of them. So uh, yeah, do the deductible, contribute the maximum that your boss allows. That's the key mm-hmm. uh, on a pre-tax basis. And the next big issue is where are you going to contribute the money? What investments that are in the 401k are the ones that you're going to choose? Have you decided how you're going to go about that? Uh, mostly, I have uh, diversified, so I have some in international and some in uh, U.S., but mostly um, 
the more aggressive options. Good. That's exactly what you should do because you're young. You're not going to touch this money for 30 or 40 years. And so that makes an awful lot of sense. If you wanted to, you could error check that and verify and validate your selection by going to our website. Uh, We have this thing on the website called the GPS, the Guide to Portfolio Selection. And uh, you'll answer a bunch of questions, and it'll tell you what your asset allocation ought to be, and you can apply that to your 401k choices at work. It's fast, it's fun, and it's free, and it'll help make sure that you are picking a good allocation model based on uh, the answers to the questions that you give. So you might want to go to our website at rickedelman.com and click on the GPS on the main page. That sounds like a great tool. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate it. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. Uh, Alyssa, age 36, going to experience a lot of changes in her uh, career path, and that's a really big focus of my new book, The Truth About Your Future, the money guide you need now, later, and much later, because the world is changing in astonishing ways, all due to exponential technologies. So the book talks in great detail about showing you what these exponential technologies are, big data, robotics, nanotech, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, bioinformatics, uh, bionics, uh, you name it, and what it all means for our personal finances with big chapters on college planning, career planning in particular. And it's really, really important you understand this because the future you're going to have is completely different from the future your parents had, completely different from the future that you think you're going to have. And so I invite you to order a copy of my book, The Truth About Your Future. You can do that at your favorite bookseller right now, and we're really excited about it, and I know it's going to be of tremendous value to you as well. The Truth About Your Future, and I encourage you to pick up your copy so that you know where your future is headed. This is The Truth About Money, Triple Eight Plan Rick. We're heading off to Baldwin, Missouri. Art, you're on the air. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in getting your thoughts, Rick. Uh, there continues to be a lot of chatter about paper currencies of the world losing their value. And, of course, the U.S. dollar is, is usually mentioned as vulnerable due to our excessive national debt. Uh, is there any way to protect against this possibility other than buying gold or silver or other precious metals? Well, first of all, buying gold and silver and other precious metals is not a protection against a decline in the currency. There is no correlation between the two. This is a myth. This is nothing more than sales marketing propaganda by the promoters of gold, silver, and other precious metals to get you to buy what they're trying to sell. So if you look historically over long periods, you will discover that there is no correlation between metals prices and currencies. So forget about that as a solution to the problem. Okay, let's start there. Second, uh, if you're trying to protect against fluctuation in currency, I'll give you two answers. First, don't assume that your premise is valid. The only people who are arguing that the American dollar is at risk are the people who are, in fact, trying to sell you an alternative product at a very high level of profit to get you to pay attention to them. So don't assume that that premise is correct. Second, if you do want to attempt it, the only way to purchase an investment that does have a direct correlation to currencies are the futures market. You have to go to the commodities markets uh, where you can trade options contracts and futures contracts that are bets about the future value of the dollar. There are two problems here. 
The first problem is that the commissions for trading these contracts are very, very high. So high that in many cases, you have to earn a 20 or 40% profit to break even because the trading costs are so high. Second, taxes. These are all short-term contracts, which means if you do make a profitable trade, you're going to be paying top marginal tax brackets, not long-term capital gains rates, which further reduces your net profit. Third, the contracts are all short-term, under one year. Many of them are last only days, which means not only do you have to be right about the currency fluctuation, you have to be right at a specific time. Because if the move occurs later than you thought, you lose anyway. So in other words, it's not enough to be right. You have to be right at the right time. That's a double whammy that makes it extraordinarily difficult to do, which is why the people who tend to make the most profit from trying to play the currency game are the people selling you those options contracts and futures contracts or the people who are selling you those gold and silver coins. The sellers of these things make the money. The brokers are the ones making the money, not the investors. So I would say you don't need to be worrying about it. Let me ask you this, Art. Do you have any foreign business activities of any sort? No. Okay, so you're not in the import-export business. Therefore, the currency fluctuation of the dollar is largely irrelevant to you. Are you planning on vacationing overseas at any time in the future? Not really. Okay, then again, it's not not an issue for you. If you were going to plan on a summer vacation to Europe next summer, I would say go buy some euros right now at the current value of the dollar to the euro. That will lock in and prevent you from having exposure to future fluctuation in value. That way you know what you're going to spend on your trip next summer. But since you're not going, it doesn't matter. In other words, for an American consumer living in America, buying American products, there is no such thing as currency fluctuation. Currency fluctuation only applies to people doing with foreign currencies, usually in a business environment or in a consumer travel environment. That's not you, so you can... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ignore all of those sales pitches. They are totally irrelevant to your life. Do you think some of these countries like China are going to uh, one day uh, tie the currency to gold? One day? What day? Which day? <laughs> See my well, point? someday. Someday? <laughs> They've been buying up a lot of gold, I know. <laughs> uh, really? Compared to who? Compared to India? I guess. Compared to the U.S.? Compared to others, yeah. And what does that matter? Art, you're paying too much attention to too much nonsense on the Internet and late-night <laughs> television infomercials. You need to find another hobby. Sounds good to me, Rick. Okay. Thank you so much for calling, Art. I really appreciate it. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. You know, every week we talk about exponential technologies. And let me share with you some of the most recent announcements that have come out. India has now unveiled the world's largest solar plant. It's 
powerful enough to generate electricity for 150,000 homes. They built it in just eight months. It's cleaned every day by solar-powered robots. And India plans to be able to power not just 150,000 homes, but 60 million homes by 2022 using solar technology. One of the problems for farmers in Africa is that they can't afford tractors. And the inability to have a tractor limits the size of the farm you can manage. So along comes a new tech company called Hello Tractor. It's an Uber of tractors for Nigerian farmers. All they do is summon the tractor. They pay for the time they use it. And then the tractor goes off to another farm, dramatically reducing the cost of farming, increasing the ability for farmers in Africa to make a good living. Scientists at the Olson National Institute of Science and Technology, they've created a thermoelectric coating that can be painted onto almost any surface. This thermoelectric coating captures heat from the device that it's painted onto and converts the heat into energy. Uh, here's a negative side of technology. You planning on buying real estate? Buying a new house, second home, you're dealing with a real estate agent, right? You're negotiating the price of the house. You finally reach a deal, and your real estate agent sends you an email and says, time for you to make the down payment. So here are the wiring instructions. And so you go to your bank, and you have your bank wire off your down payment. If that house is a half a million dollars, and you're making a 20% down payment, you're wiring off you know, 100000 bucks, right? Here's the problem. Hackers realize the nature of these transactions. They are hacking the emails of the real estate agents. They monitor the communications between you and your agent, and they wait for your agent to send you the email telling you that it's time to make the deposit for the down payment. And they send you a fake email that looks like your real estate agent with fake wiring instructions. And without you knowing it, you've wired the down payment of $100,000 to an offshore account that can never be traced or refunded. The National Association of Realtors has been warning real estate firms and their agents about this issue. The warning to you is equal. If you're dealing with a real estate transaction, deal with the deposit and the down payment and the earnest money offline. Do it by telephone with your real estate agent to make sure that you're dealing with their real site and not inadvertently, accidentally, unwittingly dealing with crooks. You know, it's interesting. I talk about technology here with you almost every week on the Rick Edelman Show, and a lot of folks are wondering why. I mean, I'm not talking about this because it's nifty, G, interesting, whiz-bang stuff, and oh, by the way, a couple of lessons... Uh, here and there on privacy protection, like I just shared with you about real estate transactions. No, it's not about technology. It's about your future. Let me give you eight predictions about your future. And I want you to tell me if these predictions are true or false about your future. Here's number one. Your future consists, probably, of working in your current field until you retire. Is that true for you or not? Now, it might be N.A. It might not be applicable. Maybe you're already retired or you're not working at the moment. But if you're currently working, does your future probably consist of working in your current field until you retire? 
True or false? There are eight of them. Let's count them all up, okay? So you have an answer in number one, whether that's true or false. Here's number two. You'll probably retire in your 60s or early 70s. True or false? Number three. In retirement, all or almost all of your income will probably come from some combination of Social Security, a pension, investments, and savings. In retirement, all or almost all of your income will come from those four sources. True or false? Number four. You'll probably live until your 80s or 90s. Is that true or false? Number five, as you age, health issues will probably develop or worsen. Is that true or false? Number six, if you'd like to travel during retirement, you probably need to do it in the earlier part of your retirement rather than the latter part for reasons of stamina and health, either yours or your spouse's or partner's. Is that true or false? You need to travel earlier in retirement rather than later in retirement. Is that true or false? Here's number seven on our list of eight predictions for your future. At some point in the future, either for your needs or for those of your spouse or partner, you'll probably need to sell your house and move into an independent living community or an assisted care facility or a nursing home. Is that true or false? At some point in the future, either because of you or your spouse, you'll need to move into some kind of facility. Is that true or false? And number eight, when you pass, your death will probably be due to heart disease or stroke or cancer or respiratory disease or influenza or pneumonia or Alzheimer's or diabetes. When you pass, your death will probably be due to one of those. Is that true or false? And by the way, let me mention that those illnesses account for 65% of all deaths in the United States. So if those illnesses account for 65% of all deaths in the U.S., when you pass, will your death probably be due to one of them as well? Is that true or false? So I've just given you eight predictions. You tell me how many of them did you believe are true? Let me tell you that all of them are probably false. You are not likely to work in your current field until you retire. You probably won't retire in your 60s or early 70s. Your income will not probably come solely from Social Security, a pension, investments, or savings. You probably will live much longer than your 80s and 90s. As you age, your health will not deteriorate. In fact, it will probably improve. Chances are in your 90s you'll be healthier than you are in your 50s. You'll be able to travel well into your 70s and 80s and 90s, and it won't matter whether your spouse or partner was able to join you, you'll travel without them. And therefore, you probably will never need to move to an independent living community, an assisted care facility, or a nursing home. And the most common causes of death today, heart disease, stroke, cancer, respiratory disease, influenza, pneumonia, Alzheimer's, diabetes, they will all be cured in the future. The most likely cause of death in the future for you? Accidents or stupidity. This is how fundamentally different our future is going to be. And this is why I talk about technology, because it's exponential technologies that are making all of these changes. And that's why I've written my new book, The Truth About Your Future, the money guide you need now, later, and much later. And I'm really excited about it because it will share with you a view of your future that you've probably not contemplated. I'm sharing this info with you now so that you can pick up the book and understand, in fact, the truth about your future.
Stay with us. Triple H Planned Rec. Visit us online at ricedelman.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Stay tuned for more on The Rick Edelman Show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Hour 2 of The Truth About Money on KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Rick Edelman here. We're presenting phone calls from several of our favorite shows. You'll hear questions and topics you might have missed. Remember, if you need help, visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Click that red button that I want to talk to an advisor. And you can also call us anytime during the week, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Let's go right back to your phone calls. We're heading off to Nyack, New York. Joe, you're on the air. How can I help you? Oh, hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is about 529 college savings plans. Uh-huh. So I've, I've done some research and found out that I can either invest directly on my own with the state plan or through an advisor or a bank. Right. And what I discovered is that the advisor or bank plans seem to have mostly those uh, load fund varieties that you counsel against. Right. So my my question is like, what benefit would there be to going with an advisor as or a bank plan as opposed to going it on my own? Well, the, it's it's not just a five twenty nine question. This also applies across the board um, to the more broadly. When should you ever hire an advisor? Because anytime you use an advisor, you're going to incur either the commissions that the advisor charges or the fee that the advisor charges. So you can always avoid that commission or that fee by going on your own. So that's really the broader question. It really has nothing to do with the 529 plan or is not limited to that. So it simply comes down to this. Do you have the knowledge necessary to make the right investment decisions? Do you have the time that it takes to do the research and the record keeping and tax reporting? And do you have the desire to spend that time doing this? Those are the three attributes that are required, Joe. Do you have all three of them, the knowledge, the time, and the desire? He, um, from what I've seen, it, at least the direct plans for uh, the 529 college savings plans seem to simplify it a bit and only have certain offerings. So, you know, g given what I've seen, I probably 
you know, might feel comfortable kind of doing that on my own. Then fine, you've just answered the question. In other words, when it comes to the financial planning and investment management issue, that's what it is. Do you have the time? Do you have the desire? Do you have the knowledge? The people who hire my firm, and this is true of people who hire every financial planning firm and investment management firm, the people who hire us lack the knowledge or the time or the desire or a combination of all three. It's simple as that. In other words, everybody needs a financial plan, but not everybody needs a financial planner. If you have the knowledge, the time, the desire, do it on your own. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. Have a great time. No problem. My concern is when people do nothing. They don't, not only do they not hire me, they don't even do it on their own. In other words, it'll be like you saying, not only did I not hire Edelman, I didn't open an account. That would be d disaster. But as long as you're going to do it, we can argue whether, whether you're going to do it as good as me. We can argue whether, whether your results will be better than what you would have gotten with me net of costs. But frankly, we'll both be laughing at the guy who did none of the above. <laughs> right, that, that's fair. And maybe one follow-up question to uh, narrow the scope to 529s. Okay. Um, do you think that is there any, from what I've seen, um, is there any reason to invest in any other tools aside from the 529 plans for college savings? They just seem so so advantageous. No, no. The, the sole place you should be saving for college is in a 529. What we can argue is whether you need to be saving in a 529 at all. How old is the child? Uh, in this case, five years old. So there is a very high possibility. I'm not saying probability. I'm not saying sure thing. But there is a distinct possibility that you won't need to save a lot of money for college because the costs of college will be dropping dramatically over the next 10 and 20 years. By the time your child reaches college, college is going to be an awful lot cheaper than it is today due to exponential technologies. So that doesn't argue against the 529. It argues against how much you put into it. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Joe. I really appreciate your call. You know, one of the big subjects we've been talking about in the field of exponential technologies and the future we're going to have has to do with education. I've been a very big critic, as you know, over the years of the cost of college, uh, how unconscionable it is that we are now, uh, as a nation, owing more to student loans than we do to credit cards, $1.3 trillion owed to student loans, and how we are allowing so many college graduates to emerge massively in debt. And whether you get the degree or not, the debt you incurred is still your debt, and how many millions of people are walking around with student loan debts even though they don't have the degree at all, or they're not in the field, they're not working in the field that caused the debt to be accumulated in the first place. In my new book, The Truth About Your Future, I have a couple of very significant chapters on financial issues, personal finance implications on how technology are going to impact education. First, there's education technology innovation. Massive improvements that are going to render college virtually free in coming decades. Forget about buying books. College kids spend over $1,000 a year on books. Forget about it. They're going to download the books for free. Many already are. That's just one small example. Many colleges around the country are already offering degrees online at little to no cost. Many employers are offering free college educations as an inducement for you to work there. So the notion of spending ridiculous amounts of money is fast going away, which is wonderful news for the average American family, meaning that education planning is not nearly as important today 
as a new emerging field of career planning. It's not so much where do you go to college, what degree do you get, as it is what job are you going to have, what skills will you obtain to get that. And so the book talks an awful lot about the issue of career planning. And this isn't a subject affecting families who have young college-bound children. This affects everybody. Look at your own industry, your own profession. You're getting continuing education on a regular basis, aren't you? You're constantly being hit with brand new things, forcing you to stay current in your field by reading professional publications, visiting websites in your industry, going to conferences in your category, all of these so that you can stay current and relevant and vital. Otherwise, you become obsolete really fast. Let me just share with you one important element in the book that helps explain the type of advice that you ought to be paying attention to regarding education planning. We are de-emphasizing 529 plans. That doesn't mean we're not using them anymore. It doesn't mean we're not recommending them anymore. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be using them anymore. What it means is that if you have money saved for college that you aren't going to use for 10 years or more, we are acknowledging the importance of, instead of a college savings fund, a lifelong learning account, because that's what it comes down to. It's the notion of going to college at age 18, graduating at age 22, and never looking back is gone. We have to be continually engaged in lifelong learning, and that means spending money on education throughout our lives. So we are basically saying that you need to establish a lifelong learning account to provide funding to assist you in maintaining the skills necessary to be viable and productive in your field, whatever that happens to be. My book, The Truth About Your Future, talks about this in greater detail. You'll be able to read all about it. You can pick up your copy right now, The Truth About Your Future. It's available at booksellers all across the country. Triple H Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. Stay with us. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. We're heading right after the telephones. Arlington, Virginia. Tom, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm very good, Rick. Thanks for taking the call. My pleasure. Um, my question is about Social Security. I'm age 62 at the uh, end of March. I went part-time in 2015 and retired at the end of that year fully. So last year was my full, full year, first full year of retirement. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, um, I, I've had several people look at my financial situation. They think I'm, I have a 95% chance of succeeding uh, my goals by age 100. So I'm debating what to do about Social Security. Should I go ahead and take it in March and just enjoy that money uh, and splurge a little bit? Or is there a reason that I should delay um into it. So tell me what your income is, Tom, without the Social Security. Um, probably around one hundred and fifty thousand a year, maybe more. And what are the rental income? What are the sources of that? Properties, and, um, mutual funds mostly, and stocks that I own. And then, like I said, I have three rental properties that okay. uh, provide me with income. Got it. And, so a bunch of investments and such. So how much money do you have in yeah. in all of these investments? What are you add them all up? What's it all worth? A couple of million bucks, I'm guessing. Over five million, actually. Over five million. Okay. Um, a little over five million. Got it. And so, what's interesting here is that there's a difference between spreadsheet success 
and real-life success. If we were to sit in an ivory tower playing with our calculators, we would conclude that you are better off waiting until age 70 to begin collecting Social Security on the assumption you're going to live a long time. How's your health, Tom? Very good. If we conclude that, yes, you are, delaying to age 70 makes sense because in the long run, meaning after 15 years or so, you'll be better off having waited because the longer you wait, the higher your Social Security check will ultimately be. If you have a short life expectancy, taking the money sooner makes more sense. All of that is a spreadsheet analysis done in an ivory tower with calculators. But it ignores the lifestyle. And let's look at yours. You've got a $5 million net worth. You're generating $150,000 worth of income, which I believe you said is plenty to support yourself in the, the lifestyle that you enjoy, yes? Yes. So why on earth are we waiting? I'm not spending anywhere near that even. So. <laughs> so so why are we waiting? Why not take the money now and enjoy it? And since you said you're not even spending all of the income you're general you're currently earning, do you have children? No, I don't. Uh, but I have nieces and nephews that I might want to leave a, a little bit of a legacy to. Or my younger sisters and people like that. So not, we could ask ourselves, uh, no, instead of the concept of leaving them a legacy, meaning they got to wait till you die to get a hold of the money, we could argue, well, hey, why not start to distribute some of that money now? You don't need that Social Security check. Maybe your nieces and nephews do. So maybe we can start to give that them is, some money. That has crossed my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> Helping my sister pay off her mortgage and stuff like that. There you go. So I would argue that uh, that you should start to engage in that side of the equation. That has nothing to do with a spreadsheet analysis, although, sure, it might make more sense to wait to ultimately have a higher economic value. There's more to life than money. And you're now at the point where you don't need to keep climbing a mountain. You've already reached the top of it. You are the American dream, 61 years old with $5 million dollars. Why on earth are you going to continue to accumulate wealth? You don't want to be Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's Everybody not. Says, Tom, you're going to go back to work. I go, like, not going to go back to work. I don't need to. <laughs> so, uh, so I would argue take the money, Tom, and start to focus on how you're going to distribute it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does, actually. And I just wanted to know if there's any reason not to do that. And uh, you haven't given me a. A reason not to do no, that. there so, isn't. No, um, no, there isn't a reason not to do that. I mean, you're going to pay taxes. So what? You're going. You know. I mean, all this is so what? I mean, the attitude is if you can produce the funds and provide it to the kids, you know, from a strictly spreadsheet analysis, you should defer until you're at least full retirement age at 66, and potentially to your maximum Social Security increase age of 70. But so what? Life's too short. Have some fun. I think you'll have much greater joy giving that money to nieces and nephews and sisters than just watching it accumulate in Social Security's coffers. Okay. Sounds good. Now, let me ask your advice. Because you have, uh, you are the American dream. 61 years old, $5 million uh, in net worth, generating $150,000 of income more than you need to support yourself. You're enjoying your lifestyle. You're in good health. Everybody aspires to be you, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. My recommendation is you go to your next high school reunion and show off. <laughs> so, so, and, so, so here's, here's the uh, advice I want you to give me. Or actually, I want you to give this advice to a fellow named Joe. Joe sent me an email earlier this week. And here's what he said. He said, Rick, I listen to your show every weekend. 
Most of the callers are older and have hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars. My concern is that the people I know would look at someone like that and ask, why do anything? You're old. You have a million dollars. You shouldn't be worried about anything. I don't even like to listen to people who, who talk about that stuff. So, Joe, so, Tom, I would like you to give advice to Joe, who's much younger, who can't comprehend being 61 years old with five million bucks, can't relate to that. What would you, Tom, say to him? Uh, I would say to him that he probably needs to be a little bit more introspective and listen and understand how he might accomplish that goal rather than thinking it never will happen. I think there are many paths forward to success, and uh, a lot of it means deferring immediate gratification. That's what I did, and but now I'm enjoying it. So I tell younger folks that are asking that very question who I used to work with, like, what was my success? I go, like, well, here's what I did. And they don't like to hear that sometimes because they want that immediate new car every year. Um, and sometimes you just have to understand that if you defer those things, you can enjoy life better and retire early rather than working until you're 70 years old. Your dreams don't get realized immediately. They get realized down the road. That's why they're called dreams and goals. They're not something you're going to get immediately without some sacrifice today. So, Tom, I really appreciate um, uh, the advice and information you've offered to Joe and to, uh, to everybody similar to Joe who's listening right now. Uh, success comes one day at a time over uh, long periods. It isn't something instantaneous like winning a lottery ticket. That's uh, very true. Tom, thanks so much for the conversation. I really appreciate it. And uh, say hi to your nieces and nephews for me. I will do that. <laughs> Take care. That's Tom. He's from Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and uh, his advice is really good. If you want to know, and this is a, a message directed to you, Joe, if you want to know how people like Tom got to be people like Tom, just ask them. Just go to someone who is where you would love to be one day, or even if you haven't even decided you would love to be where they are, if you're just curious as to how they did it, ask them. You'd be amazed how willing and ready they are to share their story, just as Tom was just now with me. I just asked him the question, how'd you do it? What advice would you have for someone younger than you? You can learn a lot, enjoy the benefit of their experience, which you can then decide is something you want to emulate or something you want to repudiate. You know, well, big question people are asking these days, how do I manage my money given we have a new administration in the White House? Three really important questions. Managing the money that you've got saved up in IRAs and retirement accounts, maximizing Social Security benefits, and protecting your assets. Those are the three subjects we cover in our seminar, Preparing for Retirement. We're doing the seminar Tuesday and Wednesday, April 18th and 19th, both at 7 p.m. in Chicagoland, Arlington Heights, Tinley Park, in Philly, West Conshohocken and Mount Laurel, New Jersey, in Michigan, Livonia and Troy, Chesterfield, Missouri, Needham and Taunton outside of Boston, and in Maryland and Virginia, both the suburbs outside of D.C., Hunt Valley, Annapolis, Springfield and Fairfax. Also, Concord, California. It's just $15 a person, $25 a couple. Get the full seminar schedule and register online at rickedelman.com. This is the information you need. You know you're going to want to attend it. Now's your chance. I invite you to come. I'm Rick Edelman. When we come back, more of your telephone calls. Stay with us right here for more on The Rick Edelman Show. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom.
Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Let's go right to the phone calls, heading right out to Elmwood Park, New Jersey. Fred, welcome to the program. How you doing? Great. Love your show. Thank you. I really do. How can I help you? Yes, I have a question. Somebody sort of like a mortgage question. Okay. I had 10 years to go on, on a 15-year mortgage, and two years ago, I was spending $3,700. $1,800 went to principal, the other went to taxes. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And interest. So I said to myself, why pay it off? I took a 30-year mortgage at 3.75. Took the 1800 Went from 37 to 1900 Took the 1800 and invested it. Every month I got $1,800. And I was investing, and I think I did a lot better than giving the money to the bank. But my question is this. When should one be on track to pay off a mortgage? Never. Okay, then we. I'm 74 years old. I have a 30-year mortgage. I don't think I'm going to ever pay it off. Exactly. In other words, you acknowledge you got a good thing going, right? Right. So why would you want it to end? I agree. I it's, agree. You hear so many people say, you know, it's best to pay off the mortgage. My friends who are in my age category can't wait to pay off their mortgage. And they look at me and go, you're crazy. Uh, so. You're not crazy. They're crazy. And let me explain why. Uh, and so I, I want to recap real briefly the statistics you cited because they're so powerful. You did have a mortgage where you were paying 3700 bucks a month. And Correct. about half of it was going to principal. Now you have a mortgage that is about half the cost with even less of it going to principal. And the result is that you're getting a bigger tax deduction than you were. So on a net of tax basis, your payment is a fraction of what it used to be. And it has freed up thousands of dollars a month that you are a month, mind you, thousands of dollars a month that you now have for either savings and investing or to support your lifestyle. This is fabulous, and that's why that's what your friends don't understand, because the reason they're saying this, being in their 70s, they're depression babies, just as you are, right? Mm -hmm. And they grew up, as you did, in an era when you saw your parents and grandparents lose their homes, if not yours specifically, all across the country. 25% unemployment in America, millions of people in the 1930s losing their homes because they no longer had the income to pay their mortgages. And that's why your friends are saying, I want to get rid of my mortgage because I'm scared to have it. What if I can't pay it? I might lose my house. What they don't understand is that today's mortgage rules are totally different than they were in the 1930s. Banks can't demand that you pay off a mortgage in full on a moment's notice. As long as you can make this month's payment, there's nothing the bank can do about it. And making this month's payment of 1900 bucks is a whole lot easier than a payment of 3700 So you want to get the payment as low as possible, which you've done. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, 
We want to recognize that cash is king. In retirement, the only thing that matters is being able to pay your bills. Having enough cash to be able to handle not just the routine, ordinary monthly expenses, but the unexpected, car repairs, a roof leaking, or heaven forbid, a medical procedure that you have to have done, or supporting children or grandchildren in their efforts to go to college or deal with the own messes that they encounter in life. So you want to have as much cash as possible. The more money you give to the bank, the less money you keep. So trying to pay off a $200,000 mortgage or a $500,000 mortgage, where are you going to get the 200 grand? Where are you going to get the 500 grand? That's money you have to withdraw from your own savings and investments, money you'll never see again. Why would you want to be 85 years old and have no money when instead you can be 85 years old and have cash ready and available as you see fit to use as you wish. So you're living the American dream. You're enjoying the home. You've got a fabulous lifestyle. You're easily able to make the payments that you have in front of you. And therefore, the fact you have a big mortgage balance is completely irrelevant. Your friends don't mm -hmm. get it. Got it. So what I would encourage you to do is encourage them to read my book, The Truth About Money, because in that book, I cite the 11, yeah, 11 of them, 11 great reasons for carrying a big, long mortgage. And I'm willing to bet it'll persuade them. They also might want to read my book, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Wealth. One of the eight secrets we discovered of how successful Americans got that way is that the overwhelming majority of them have a big, long mortgage and never pay it off. So the truth about money and ordinary people, extraordinary wealth. Encourage your friends to talk with my colleagues to look at their own personal situation to see if what I'm suggesting here does, in fact, make sense for them, given their circumstances. And they may, just may, come to realize you are the smartest guy in the group. Thank you, Rick. Thank right. you very much. You're very welcome, Fred. I really appreciate it. I'm Rick Edelman. We're off to Rolla, Texas. Bill, you're on the air. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Terrific. How can I help you? Uh, I've read a lot, quite a bit in the media about uh, loss conversion of the 401k. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a, a little over a million dollars, uh, 480 of it in a non-retirement, but we have almost 600000 in our combined uh, retirement accounts. I'm 68. I plan on working until I'm 70. She's already retired. She's 64, almost 65, uh, due to a job loss. And uh, so my question is, is, is it something I consider uh, to pay the taxes today, give that money back to grow uh, for inheritance, uh, certainly maybe for some of our use, but uh, uh, I just, I, I've read a lot about it. Just wanted your thoughts on Roth conversion of your. Uh uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the question, Bill. No, I don't see any particularly strong motivation uh, for doing this. You uh, you called it right. If you have money in a retirement account at work and you convert it to the Roth, you're going to pay taxes right now on the full value of that account. So if you've got six hundred grand in retirement accounts, you're going to incur taxes of over $200,000. There's no particular advantage to you to doing so. Uh, if you leave the money alone, the taxes will be paid later, either by you or your survivors, and better to pay the tax in the future than paying it now. There's no particular advantage. In other words, it does not increase wealth. It's a wash. You can use whatever assumptions you want for tax rates and uh, rates of return 
You can use whatever time frame you want. It doesn't make any difference. You'll discover that it's a complete wash. It doesn't create wealth. All it does is accelerate the tax liability. And on that basis, therefore, we say, no, don't bother to do it. Okay. Okay. A follow-up question, uh, hearing some of your other information, uh, like I say, we have 480 uh, investment purely stock, and our 401ks, I have been invested more of a 80-20, 80 bond, 20 stock. I, I, I try to have an overall portfolio of about a 60-40. That's kind of what I, what I try to maintain. Am I looking at that, at, you know, at wrong? Should I look at the uh, uh, individual retirement accounts, uh, you know, more heavily in equity than bonds as, as, a, as a single investment and the fully invested uh, equity as another investment that I choose to have all in equity or keep them? As an overall pack. That's a really good question because everybody, uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet, listening has a similar situation, if not the total dollars involved. I'm willing to bet that a lot of folks listening have retirement accounts, IRA accounts, as well as taxable accounts, ordinary accounts, joint with a spouse or in their own name uh, right. solely. And the question becomes, how do I allocate these assets? Should I do them one at a time? Or do I do them as one big mix? And for example, here's the thought process some people use. They say, gee, this retirement account, I know I'm not going to touch it until retirement. And that's a longer time frame than this other taxable account that I have joint with my spouse. I might use that money sooner. Therefore, the retirement account should be more heavily in equity since it has a longer time frame. Wrong. What you need to do is avoid silo construction. It's called compartmentalization in the field of behavioral finance, where people take highly complex systems and try to simplify them by tackling one subject at a time. Let me tackle college planning, and once I have that done, I'll then go tend to my retirement planning. Wrong. We need to look at our personal finances comprehensively, holistically. It's one big decision, not a series of tiny little decisions. Otherwise, you could make a series of little decisions that independently look good, but in fact, conspire to be bad. So you need to build an overall asset allocation and invest the money accordingly within all the accounts, regardless of their account registration. It's this kind of information that we can provide answers to you for, and I invite you to call us and let us tackle your situation to show you what you should be doing with your own personal finances. Just call us at 888 rick or visit us online at rickedelman.com. This is The Truth About Money. Stay with us. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. The Rick Edelman Show continues. Triple H, Plan Rick. Okay, we said something startling. We got a bunch of phone calls and emails from folks saying, What? You said what? I'm going to give you a little bit of background. We were in Dallas. Uh, it was the annual Edelman Financial Services Annual Financial Planner Conference. My colleagues and I get together, 150-plus of us getting together for several days of meetings. And what's going on in the marketplace, what's happening in Capitol Hill, what's going on with the Fed, uh, the macro geopolitical environment, what's the advice we're giving our clients, and how do we make sure that the advice we're giving our clients is the very best we can make it be, and so on. And I 
presented for you here on the program several of my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Services uh, to uh, give you an opportunity to hear what they have to say and their viewpoint and outlook and uh, perspective on financial planning and investment management issues. One of the conversations had to do with how much money do you need to have saved by the time you retire. And I believe it was Yolanda uh, when this question came up, and I uh, put it to her. I said, you know, if, how much money do you need to have saved by the time you enter retirement? In other words, if uh, as a multiple of your income, you know, if you want to have $100,000 in income, or 50000 in income, or 80000 in income, or 30000 in income, whatever income you want in retirement, how much money do you have to have saved in a piggy bank in order to be able to generate that income for you? And she said, 20 times. <coughs> and that scream was the reaction of an awful lot of folks listening to the program. And Yana was absolutely correct. In fact, we could even argue, and we did during the conference, uh, should the number be 25? And for some people, maybe the number should be 15. But the bottom line is, you know, for an awful lot of folks, 20x is a reasonable number. In other words, if you right now earn $100,000 a year and you want to maintain that income to sustain your lifestyle in retirement, you need $2 million, 20x, 20 times 100000 You need $2 million in a piggy bank when you retire. And uh, you know, here's one email I got from Ralph, and he said, Rick, seriously? They said he was basically, this is going to freak out an awful lot of people. And he asked this very important question. Does this include savings and investments, pensions, Social Security, and other sources of income? That's a really important question, Ralph, and we didn't elaborate on that, so let me do it for you here. When we say you need 20x, for example, maybe it's 15x, maybe it's 25x, depending on your situation, that is based on the amount of income you need to generate from your investments. This is important. In other words, let's say you're making 100 grand a year and you want to keep receiving 100 grand a year in retirement. We would say you need $2 million to be able to do that. However, let's say that you receive 40 grand a year from Social Security, uh, pension income, or who knows what, maybe part time employment, whatever. Let's say that you're getting 40 grand a year from Social Security and whatnot. Well, that means you don't need 100 grand from your investments, you only need 60 grand from your investments. And 20x of 60 isn't $2 million, it's only $1.2 million. And that is an awful lot easier to do than the full 20x on the full income you need. Does that make sense? In other words, the situation might not be nearly as dire as it at first may appear. And here let me give you a yet another reason the situation may not be so dire. Well, you might not even need the $1.2 million in our hypothetical example. That calculation of 20x assumes that you want to preserve the bulk of that money for your heirs. So I want to ask you a simple question. How do you feel about legacy? In other words, do you look, look at the money you've already got saved up. Do you want that money to still be there 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now so that your children and grandchildren inherit it? Or... Do you have the attitude, whatever's left, they get. And if I happen to spend it, then so be it. And if they end up with nothing, that's fine with me. 
maybe that's your attitude. So you have to decide because if your attitude is, look, I absolutely positively want this money intact forever, then yeah, you need 20x. But if, on the other hand, your attitude is, you know what, I really don't care if I die broke. I really don't care if my spoiled little rotten grandchildren don't get a big bucket of money when I kick over. Because after all, you've already spent a ton of money on your kids and grandkids, raising them, educating them, getting them off to a good start in life, and you may very well say, I'm done. And if that's the case, you don't need nearly 20x because you don't need to preserve the money for them. So that dramatically further reduces the amount of money you need to start retirement with. So uh, for lots of reasons like that, what are your other sources of income? How important is inheritance to you? Uh, are you married uh, with a spouse financially dependent on you? What about children and grandchildren? What's your attitude about charitable support and community giving? All of these factors contribute to the actual calculation of how much of your current income you need to have saved in a piggy bank by the time you reach retirement. And that is why there is no substitute for meeting with a professional financial planner who can review your total circumstances to see if we were crazy when we said you need 20x. You might discover that you need 30x. You might discover that you need three. Right? I'll, I'll give you my, my favorite extreme example. Supreme Court justices. In fact, all judges on the federal bench. Do you know what their retirement package is? I think they have to stay on the bench a minimum of one year to qualify. I'm not sure what it is, but it's a relatively short period of time they must be on the bench. But once they pass that short qualification period, upon retirement, they receive a pension equal to 100% of their pay. Now, these are judges who cannot be fired. They have no mandatory retirement date. So they can work as long as they want, earning their full income. And other than impeachment, there's no way to kick them off the bench. They have to choose to retire. And even then, they continue to receive 100% of their pay upon retirement. Now, that might sound egregious to you. There's a fundamental reason why Congress did that. It's to eliminate any risk of conflict of interest. We wanted basically to say to these judges, don't worry about it. Don't be tempted to quit the bench and go work in the private sector. In fact, don't be tempted to make a ruling that favors the private sector so they one day hopefully will hire you because we're going to give you your income and we're going to pay it to you for life whether you're on the bench or not. So my point in raising this is that for a federal judge, uh, for Supreme Court justices, and we've you know provided uh, advice and counseling to folks in these positions in the past, the financial planning challenge is really simple for them. Because they are assured of getting their current income forever. Now, there aren't too many other Americans in that comfortable position, right, financially. So if you're on the other extreme, say that you work uh, in a 100% commission sales job, and if you don't close a sale, you don't get a paycheck, uh, and you have no pension benefit retirement plan where you work, and you're the sole breadwinner in your family, oh, my goodness gracious, you better make sure you're building a big piggy bank because there's no one else to provide you income other than you. So that person, you know, if they have kids and they want to make sure there's a big inheritance for those kids, well, that person, yeah, might be 20x, 25x, 30x of their current income in a piggy bank. So those are the big extremes. Well, how do we narrow it down for you? It's real simple. Meet with a professional financial planner. We can do that for you. We can help you create those calculations to tell you, here's where you are, here's where you want to go, and here's what you need to do to get there. And we can 
do that for you with surprising ease because we've done it for thousands of folks just like you. So call us at 888-PLAN-REC. Well, you've been listening to The Rick Edelman Show. You've probably got a lot of questions. Hope I answered a bunch of them for you here on the program today. If you have other questions, you're welcome to call in just like everybody else does at 888-PLAN-REC. And my colleagues and I will answer your phone calls and get you the answers you need to all of your personal finance questions. We can assist. 888-PLAN-REC or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's rick.com. And I'll see you again right here next week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.